Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you like this podcast, you will love my new anthology called Moms Don't Have Time to Have Kids. Check it out, and you'll hear from 49 authors about all sorts of things moms don't have time to do. All the authors have been on this podcast. Also, check out my TikTok, at with Zibby and Tracy, my other podcast, Sex Talk with Zibby and Tracy. Check out Moms Don't Have Time to Write on Medium. And of course, my new publishing company called Zibby Books. And now back to our daily author interview site and a quick hello from some of my kids. Hi. Hi. Hello. Enjoy the show. Malcolm Gladwell is the author of Miracle and Wonder, Conversations with Paul Simon. He's also the author of seven New York Times bestsellers, including The Tipping Point, Blink, Outliers, Talking to Strangers, and The Bomber Mafia. He is the co-founder and president of Pushkin Industries, an audiobook and podcast production company that produces the podcast Revisionist History, Broken Record, a music interview show, and Solvable, which features innovative thinkers with solutions to some of the world's biggest problems. His latest project is this audio biography called Miracle and Wonder Conversations with Paul Simon, which is what we spoke about today. You can also listen to my conversation with Malcolm about the Bomber Mafia, which aired several months ago, and watch our Instagram live. Welcome, Malcolm. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Miracle and Wonder, the all the things about Paul Simon I never knew and was excited to see and hear. And oh my gosh, what an immersive, amazing experience. Thank you. Thank you. It was, it was super fun to do. I bet. It, it sounded like it. I wish I had been sitting there with him. Tell listeners a little bit about, it's not really even a book. It's like, it's only an audio book. It's an audio experience. I feel like this category needs a new name. Um, tell us about it more. If you have a name for this category, please let me know. Yes, it's, what is it? It's, we began by me and my friend Bruce. We just sat down with Paul Simon for 
I guess it was probably almost 40 hours. So 10, 10 sessions of four hours each. And we just talked to him and played music or he played for us, sang for us. We just hung out basically. And then we took all those, all that tape and cut it down and wove a kind of argument around it. Try to explain what you're listening to, why you're listening. You know, I had sort of some theories about Paul Simon. I wanted to kind of both run by him and run by. And then we put it all together into this thing called Miracle and Wonder, which is five hours. And it's supposed to be, the way I pitch it to him is the same way I would pitch it to anyone. Imagine you've never heard of Paul Simon. And, you know, like your, 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 your 11-year-old comes to you and says, who is Paul Simon? And I say, give, give your 11-year-old this. And it will explain who he is, why he's important. And by the end, you will be in love with Paul Simon and his music. That's, that's the point. It's true. I should give my kids this. I should have them listen to it next. That's important. I, we can I'll arrange that. We, we can, can arrange that. that. I know. It's on my phone. I can just, you know, hand it over. They're on my phone all the time anyway. So what's the difference? <laughs> you know, one of the interesting, interesting things you said in the recording was that at an age when many performers slow down or don't create as much anymore, Paul Simon's ramped up in his production. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, he, you know, what fascinated one of the things that fascinated me about Paul is his longevity. So we're used to musicians who have this spurt of creativity in their 20s, and then they spend the rest of their career just playing the hits they wrote when they were 25. You know, that's the model. And that's not a criticism. It's really, really hard to write a pop song, right? To write more than one pop song. But along comes Paul Simon, and he had his first hit as a teenager in the 50s. And you know, there are many, we interviewed a bunch of artists of other musicians about Paul and some of them, you know, David Byrne, for example, says that his favorite Paul Simon album is the album that Paul Simon made, I think in 2013 called So Beautiful and So What. So between, he made, he's made relevant music in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, aughts and 20 teens. I mean, that's crazy, right? Crazy. crazy. So that's sort of, what we're trying to get at in the book is to explain how is that possible? What is it about this person that allowed him to remain so creatively fertile for so long? And I don't know if we have a, it's partly an unanswerable question, but we sort of try and, I think we get close to sort of at least describing a little bit of what makes Paul Simon so extraordinarily special. So what is the secret? What is the secret to longevity? Well, one is that he he's an amazing risk taker. And, you know, over the course of his career, he takes a bunch of incredible risks, some of which work out and some of which don't. For example, you know, he's one of the top recording artists in the world when he decides to write and uh, a Broadway play, Cape Man. Mm-hmm. And he spends, devotes two years of his life trying to master an entirely different creative form. And play com- play comes out and gets a bad review in the New York Times, and it closes after audiences stay away. And commercially, it's a failure. And he, to this day, Paul, you know, carries the wounds of that failure. But you know, in this, the same spirit is what leads him to go to South Africa in nineteen in the early nineteen eighties and make Raceland, which is why not? Let's try something new. Let's or the same spirit is what. Um, 
after he breaks out with breaks up with our Garfunkel to recreate himself as a solo artist. I could go on and yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we over the course of this book, we like list all of these chances and risks and experiments that Paul Simon is willing to do. And he's willing to do them even when he's famous and comfortably off. And do you really, you know, 99% of people would, would say after they'd done Bridge Over Troubled Water, I'm done. I mean, I, do I need to do anything else? I've done one of the greatest albums. <laughs> and he just keeps going and taking more chances. And that's that. It's as much about his courage and his willingness to, to fail if in the pursuit of something new, you know, that is incredibly admirable. That's what I took away from my, my, from my time with him was that this is a guy with a lot of an appetite for risk and a curiosity that needs to be satisfied and a willingness to fail, even if, you know, if in the, in the course of trying to find something new. Do you think those are things that can be taught? Like, do you think those are things that you can parent into your kids that sort of this willingness to try and all of that? Like, do you think, or do you think it's just something you're born with? I suspect at least some portion of it can be taught. Um, I think it's very in- instructive if you want to talk about parenting in this, in this context. It's incredibly useful for a child to see one of their parents deal gracefully with failure. Now, obviously, catastrophic failure is not good for anyone. You know, if you were to lose your home and your job and your health and all that kind of stuff, that's a trauma that is going to be... But I mean, there's but there's a whole category of failures that I think could be incredibly useful. That if, And if you see someone deal, like I say, gracefully with them, learn from them, accept that life has ups and downs, you know, find some silver lining, all those kinds of things, come back you know, and show resilience. That's, those are things, I think resilience is very much something that can be taught. You have to see someone rebound from a setback before you know that rebounding from a setback is possible. I mean, what you said about Paul Simon a minute ago, by the way, could easily apply to you. I mean, people could say, I mean, why would Malcolm Gladwell write another book after The Tipping Point? Like, why bother after Outliers? Why would he keep going? What would I- Why do you, why do you keep going? Zibby, what would I do? I <laughs> sitting at home. I, 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 I mean, I think the same is true. I don't mean to put myself in the same category as Paul Simon, who is, you know, he's like one of the great musical geniuses of his generation. He just likes. He likes writing music. He likes messing around with music. I mean, it, it just makes him happy. I don't even think it matters to him whether the song he's working on is a massive hit or not a massive hit. He just likes. He just enjoys that, and I. I enjoy, yesterday morning, I did an interview with this cop. I was in Los Angeles, this retired 82-year-old retired LAPD officer. It's like two hours long. And at the end of it, I was like, I just love the excuse to talk to people I would never otherwise talk to. I mean, I would never, if I didn't have some project I was working on, I would never meet that guy. Mm-hmm. I would never have occasion to ask him questions for two hours. I would never have heard all these crazy stories. Do I know whether I'll use any of that interview? I don't. Do I know whether the product that comes out of that will be successful? I don't. It doesn't matter though, because I had I had fun. I mean, I, I, I learned this, he's like, he was this character. Like I just, I now have a character in my memory and in my life that I didn't have before. And I feel Paul's the same way, you know, 
he's working, he's 80, 79 years old. He, he has an album coming out in March. Does he care whether it, I mean, he'd like it to be successful, but I think he just enjoyed making it, right? So maybe that's another one of the secrets, right? I mean, what maybe he's thinking the same thing. What would he do if he wasn't, you know, if sometimes yeah. like these ways of expressing ourselves is how we live, right? You might as well. And some people's can be more for public consumption than other people's. Yeah. I mean, he, one of the things that was great about, because we spent all this time with him, you know, 40 hours and he was enjoying himself. Some people, you know, you know this, you interview people for a living. Sometimes when you interview people, it feels like work for them. You know, they're like, they're required to do it or they're supposed to do it. And they'd really rather be somewhere else. He never gave the sense that he would rather be somewhere else. He was just up for it. Cause it was like, we we're talking about music and for him, I joked to him once, and I can't remember whether this is in the book, that his truest calling would have been as a music teacher. Mm. Now, he would have been the most overqualified music teacher of all time. <laughs> <laughs> but he just wants to tell people about how to make music and how music works. That, that's what made him. So the idea that we were going to come and sit with him for as long as all of us wanted to sit, and he could just talk about how his mind works and how, his, how music works for him, and we would be willing listeners. To him, that was like, he was just like psyched. Like that was fun, you know? And he would always, at the end of every session, he would always say, should we do this again? You know, like he was, he wasn't like, are we done? <laughs> he was always like, can we do this again? We were always like, yes. <laughs> I mean, people love talking about what they're passionate about. That's why what you were saying, like, you know, people who feel when you interview them, who feel like, you know, you can tell when they don't want to be there. I feel like, and you interview people all the time, like, isn't that my job to make them have fun and want to be there and chatting with me? Otherwise I've failed. Like that's my, that's my fault then. Yeah, I think that's true. And yeah, part of the job, I think that interviewing, it's funny, this is a tangent, but there's a lot of people now who have podcasts and have taken up the job of, of interviewer. And I think sometimes people don't understand how hard it is. I would say for the first 20 years of my career in journalism, I was not a very good interviewer. It took a long time understanding how to find what's interesting in another person. Because sometimes people need a little help in locating. I think everyone is, is interesting, but some a lot of us need help in finding what is interesting about our, our experiences. And that's what an interviewer does. And they encourage you and they, you know, they infect you with their enthusiasm. And that's not an easy, that's not an easy task. Like that, it takes years to figure out how to do that. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hmm. I guess. I don't know. Are we having fun? Are you having fun? I hope I'm doing my job well. <laughs> I'm having a blast. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Wait, so tell me a little more about Pushkin's, the way you've reconceptualized books, because this is like a huge, amazing thing that you're doing. And yeah. I, I want to make sure everybody understands how cool it is, because what you're essentially doing is you're taking what could be a book and you're, everything is enhanced and more interesting. And, you know, when I listen to the Bomber Mafia, it's like started there with like the clips and the airplanes and the, you know, actual news clips. And now here with like literally just listening to Paul Simon perform as you guys are chit-chat. I mean, it's so cool. So how did this idea, how did, how did that whole thing come about? And like, what's coming next and all this cool stuff that you're doing? Well, we, we, we thought that audio books in particular were just people, we, you'd write a book and then they would sit you down in a studio for three days and you would read the book into a microphone. And that's always struck me as a total waste. Like there's all this, why would you squander all the potential of audio just by reading, sitting in a closet and reading for three days a year? Like, <laughs> for example, if you interview somebody, and I did this with Talking to Strangers, started with that book. Everyone I interviewed, I taped them. And then in, in the audio book, you heard them not me reading their words, you heard them in their words. And then, and then you realize, oh, if you think about a movie, have you ever, seen a, have you ever heard, watched a movie, an early cut of a movie that hasn't, doesn't have a soundtrack? Yes, actually. And it's bizarre how bad it is, right? I've watched without, I was in a sound studio with my brother who's a producer while they were trying to get the sound right. So they would show us like the clips with nothing. Mm -hmm. And then they would show us like, and here's what it sounds like when the door locks. And I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> anyway. So much better, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, then I thought, well, audiobooks should have soundtracks. They should have theme music. They should have, there's all these things that just can add to the emotion and, the, and make the experience so much more captivating. So, you know, you can't write a, now when we do an audiobook, we're like, we have these brilliant musicians who score it for us the same way you would a movie. Mm -hmm. You know, for talking to strangers, I, Janelle Monet had this unbelievable kind of protest song that she wrote about about all the police shootings. And I called up her manager, and I was like, "I," because talking to strangers began and ended with this with story of a police of an encounter between an African American woman and a, and I called up her manager. So I have to have that song. I mean, that song belongs in my book. I mean, it's and they were, she was like, absolutely, and so. It, you know, you hear that song throughout my book. And that's because with audio, I can go to a genius like Janelle Monet and I can say, can I borrow a little bit of your genius to help my book, you know, be more moving and powerful? And so there's all these opportunities, you know, same thing with the Paul Simon book. I mean, we could have written a print book about him, but then you don't get to hear Paul Simon. Mm -hmm. You don't get to hear him play. And 
mess around on the guitar and like tell funny jokes and like just be his, you know, his kind of like beautifully weird, wonderful self. I wanted to, you to feel like you're in the room with us and you can do that with audio. You, you can't do that on the page. So that's, that's part of what we're trying to do is to create a kind of intimacy with the listener. And what about just doing a document? Like, why didn't you make it a documentary? Because once you add cameras, everything gets a hundred times more expensive and a hundred times harder. And I don't know whether, I think that people get shy around, not shy. I think sometimes the camera makes people self-conscious. Mm-hmm. Particularly musicians. Paul's not an actor. He's a musician. He wants to be heard. Mm. He doesn't need to be seen. You know, that dimension's not important. I don't know if anything would be, be added. I think sometimes as well, video images are, can be a distraction. Now, for certain kinds of stories, they're not a distraction. They're, they are the story. But for a book about a musician and his genius, the, the images are a distraction. I want you to listen. I, don't, I want you to close your eyes and listen. I don't want you, I don't want to show pictures of a guy with a guitar. You know, that's not the point here. The point here is to, is to train your ear to appreciate the genius of this transcendent artist. So cool. Well, I mean, you, I was already a Paul Simon fan, but it's hard to listen without even having a renewed appreciation. Aren't you the, wait, let's, let's, let's talk about this for a second. Uh-oh. No, 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 no. <laughs> You're kind of the quintessential, you grew up in New York. I did. And do you grew up in Manhattan or in, in Manhattan? Manhattan. Yeah, yeah. But your, your parents and grandparents would be roughly the same age as Paul and like My- you generationally, like there's a whole group of Paul Simon fans for whom Paul was like, New Yorkers, he was one generation older. They grew up on his, when you were 10, I'm sure somebody played the boxer for him. We had Graceland on, in like our permanent, you know, the six CD thing that like slid out. We like always had it in there and we would bring it with us on vacation and then play it there. (laughs) So you like, you're of that generation that as a kid, his music was all around you. Yeah. And as a New Yorker, I always feel, I always feel there's a special bond between Paul Simon, who's such a quintessential New Yorker, and New Yorkers. You know, like, there's something about that. You know, the, his song American Tune, one of his most beautiful songs, it's a song really about the immigrant experience in America. And if you're the child or grandchild or great-grandchild of immigrants to this country, there's something about that song and him that just connects. If your parents or grandparents or great-grandparents came over, you know, at Ellis Island from escaping whatever and to this thing called America, it's like that song can bring you to tears. And yeah. so there's a there's a bond there between. So I like my point is I'm not surprised that this book spoke. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Phew. I didn't know where you were going with that. Anyway. <laughs> All right. So Paul Simon, now this project is done out and about and now into the world, converting more Paul Simon fans. What are you doing next? Who are you having aside from the policeman? Who are you? What's, what are your next couple projects? What's your big vision? There is a project that there's a big thing I'm working on now, my next book, which does involve Los Angeles, 
It's all about it. It's a Los Angeles story. So I've been hanging on LA a lot and talking to people like 82-year-old retired LAPD officers. That's something I've been working on for the last while. I have a revisions history. Season seven comes up this summer, and I'm just about to start work on that. And I'm in that stage where I'm desperate for ideas. And I wake up at three in the morning, I think, within, in a cold panic and think, what if I don't come up with enough ideas for this year? <laughs> and, and then Pushkin, we get a bunch of really cool things. We're doing another similar book project with the comedian Steve Martin. Oh, wow. Because we thought it'd be really fun. Comedians also, you want to hear them, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's that's something else we're, we're thinking about. That's exciting. No, it's true. There is this immediacy with audio that is not the same, right? Because basically it's literally immersive, right? You're like putting the sound into your body directly, like an infusion as opposed to the separation. I mean, obviously, but anyway, well, those sound great. Amazing. Okay. Any, do you have any advice? Let's say people want to record the best audio experience they possibly can. What should they do? How can they, aside from getting out of a closet, like what, what can they do to enhance? Cause a lot of other people get assigned audiobooks to read, right? They, they don't have this opportunity. Like what can they do to make it better? Or is there anything or I don't know. Yeah. Well, a lot of it is to think about one is that the, 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 the great the thing about audio is that it's intimate and it's emotional. So anything you can do to enhance that part of it is super, super important. So to, like I said earlier about that feeling of being in the room with someone that's what you want. So, you know, you with In Miracle and Wonder, this Paul Simon book, you know, we deliberately included little bits of our conversation that were casual. Like, you know, some of the chapters begin with this little little bits of tape. And what, what, what you're trying to do with that is to give you a sense of, of the informal, intimate Paul Simon, not the not that, you know, when you're being interviewed, you put on your interview hat and you answer every question clearly and precisely. And it's a formal process. But with an audiobook, you you have an opportunity to do something different, which is to make it just feel like you're chit-chatting with somebody. You're just hanging out. So anything you can do to enhance that kind of, and that means being comfortable with a certain kind of imperfection sometimes, being comfortable with things that are, Who's the, where the, where the purpose of including something is not necessarily to make an argument or a point, but to create a feeling. You know, in a book, you don't do things. In a print book, you don't do things to create feelings. You do things to make your argument, to prove a point. In an audio book, you, you really want feeling. You know, you want, you want to hear. There's a moment in this book where Paul talks about the fact that his mother, he told us this at least three times, his mother once said, you know, when he was very young and just doing, starting out with Art Garfunkel, you know, Paul, you have a good voice, but Art, but Artie has a great voice. And he still remembers that. It really hurt his feelings. His <laughs> <own> mother. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really important for you to hear how, how he says that and to feel the idea that even someone as ridiculously accomplished as this still carries that little bit of hurt. Not because he's fragile. He's the opposite of fragile. He's an insanely resilient guy, but his mom said something that wounded him and that also spurred him on, you know, that he's used to as a driver of his ambition and his creativity. It's just, it's really, it's just really, really, really important to hear how that. Well, now I'm like, you know, 
Yeah, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I'm right? I'm like, great. I say <laughs> one thing to my kids, and you know, it's going to be. And if your kid turns out to be Paul, Paul as good as famous and as accomplished as Paul Simon, then that's probably a very useful thing to have said. <laughs> yeah, but then he's going to talk about what I said that made him feel bad, and I'm going to look like you know the, the mean person after all his success. So I don't know. It's a lose. Forty years from now, you're listening to your son being interviewed, and he says, "And then my mom said, and I'll never forget." <laughs> and you're totally. like daggers, daggers in your heart. <laughs> totally. Oh my gosh. Well, I'll use the next forty years to steal myself <laughs> against that eventual hurt. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, Malcolm, thank you so much. Thanks for chatting today. I had fun, and thanks for sharing all your feelings and everything. <laughs> yeah, all right. Have you. a great day. Yeah. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.